0: All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to uh, Wednesday nights. We're on our, our second week back uh, in, the, in our new environment, and uh, so grateful for all of you that have joined us across uh, all, of our, all of our methods, whether it's through uh, the Tomoka webpage and our live streaming or Facebook, uh, YouTube. Just grateful that you're here and a part uh, of our service. We started last Wednesday uh, a new series called Hope in the Dark, uh, a series that I found fitting in lieu or in view of what we're all facing uh, I'm not exactly sure what governor DeSantis and the new uh, the new regulations are going to look like going forward starting on May the 1st at this particular point in time but I know that uh, most of us are a little bit anxious uh, a little bit uncertain about what that looks like as we've seen part of the country go back or try to go back forward into some normal living that looks like times in the past, uh, there's still a lot of apprehension and, and, and an enormous amount of uncertainty for, for everybody in the world. And so we continue to see the amount of fear and anxiety in people's lives uh, increasing day by day. I don't need to remind you of the stories of tragedy that are taking place in our world today. The numbers continue to be staggering. I misquoted a number last week when I said that there were a thousand deaths in Volusia County. I met a thousand deaths in the state of Florida, uh, but the numbers are staggering. Uh, they continue to grow and increase. Uh, we had our highest number of deaths through COVID-19 in the state of Florida uh, yesterday so far. And so as we get, as even as we begin to think about what will it look like going forward with less restriction, Yesterday was the highest death toll in one day in the state of Florida because of the coronavirus. So there's still an int- a tremendous amount of unknown and anxiety. And as we talked about last week, and listen, I, I don't often do this. I don't know if I ever do this. But if you missed last week as we launched this series, man, I want to encourage you to go back and catch the first of the series. Because it, at, at the core of all of us, whether we want to admit this or not, we're just people who are nurtured to understand the element of fear. Uh, we, we talked about it at Link last week, but at the end of the day, we are people who are prepared for endings because we've been nurtured to know that things that matter end. Mom and dad get divorced. Jobs come to an end. Money runs out. We have to leave our home and relocate. Um, life ends. Diagnosis comes. Doctors do their best. And yet it's not enough. And, and what we've known for ourselves and what we've known for everybody along the way is, is that we have grown accustomed to recognizing the finite, the finite ability of things around us, the finite nature of our lives. And because of that, we have an element in us that is fearful because, hey, you need to go meet with the boss. Immediately, everybody knows what happens. The minute you get an email, a text, a phone call to say, hey, you need to go beat with the boss. Everybody immediately deals with that element of anxiety. Why? Because we're nurtured and geared to be afraid, afraid of endings, endings that historically we know happen. And so what we talked about last week as we jumped into this hope in the dark series is, listen, if fear is that prevalent in all of us, how are we? How are we who are commanded by Jesus to fear not or be not afraid and to live by faith? How are we to do that? Not how are we to do it well, just how are we to do that? What is it that we can do that allows us to not be prisoners to our fear all the time? What we talked about was, listen, there's got to be something that offsets that scale, something that's tethered to the other end. And so we ended with this passage last week and I want to begin with this passage from Hebrews chapter 6. The writer says this. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. You see, here's the deal. At the end of the day, what you and I have to have is something tethered Something tethered to the other end of this rope of fear and anxiety. Otherwise, we're going to drift away and we're going to be consumed by that fear. And what we know, listen, what we know from scripture, from the writings and the testimonies of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive, witnessed his body being put in a tomb, and then saw him once again after he had risen from the dead. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. It's that event that gives us our hope because that hope is anchored or is anchored in the sanctuary in heaven. We've got something to offset it because a God who made a promise, kept a promise, and Jesus is the proof of that. We now have a God who we can hope in. And so when our God says, listen, fear not, don't be afraid, Cast all your fears on me. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Listen, I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. That we're more than conquerors through faith in him who loved us. Listen, we can have hope. And hope is powerful enough to offset fear. And our hope, listen, our hope is anchored in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If that that hope, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are people of all people who should be pitied the most. Listen, it is a a difficult season. Tons and tons to be uncertain about. What are we supposed to hope in? The the stock market goes up and down and up and down, right? Are we supposed to hope in a cure, right? Are we supposed to hope in in, in something that's going to happen in one of these Laboratories that's going to produce something that we can take that's going to allow us to be immune from this. Listen, those those hopes and dreams that we have pinned our life to are just being one by one taken away. Our hope is connected to a man named Jesus. And that hope is anchored, anchored in heaven because that's where Jesus is alive and well. And so as we step into the book of Habakkuk to sort of walk through the rest of this idea of hope in the dark, listen, I want you to begin and end with the knowledge that, listen, you and I as people who've been commanded by God to walk by faith and not by what we see, right? To, to exercise complete persuasion in God so we know that that pleases Him. We can do that in spite of the darkness around us because our hope, our hope in Jesus is greater than our fear. First John four says, Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We have a God who we can hope in. And for some of you, I know you're clinging, you're clinging to, to that truth, and I want to encourage you to continue to cling. And and I also want you to join with us as we walk through Habakkuk. It's a it's a minor prophet called such because it's a smaller writing. It's not the mammoth volume of literature that Isaiah is. It's three chapters. In our Bibles, it's minor in the sense that there's fewer words, but it's not minor in its message. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived in a time where God's people were, they were criminals. They were corrupt. They were vile. They cared nothing about justice. They cared nothing about mercy. They cared nothing about the law. They cared about no one. Or nothing but themselves. There was people being harmed and taken advantage of, marginalized people completely removed from the face of the earth, and all of this by people who claimed to be people of God. And Habakkuk had witnessed it for years. For years. And Habakkuk is a book written by a man who's had enough, and he wants to know why. I think, I think we can relate to that. I think we can relate to having enough. Because for some of you, this is the crazy part. Listen, for some of you watching right now, the coronavirus, it's the least of your worries. Because your life was already incredibly difficult. Your life was already in turmoil before COVID-19 ever happened. And you were already asking questions. Like a back accident ha- has asked in his letter to God. And so I wanna take you through this journey with Habakkuk. And I wanna take you through this idea that comes from the name Habakkuk. Habakkuk in Hebrew means to wrestle or to cling to, right? I've never been in a fight. I know that for some of you, that's probably really hard to believe with how smart my mouth can be at times, but I've never been in an actual fight ever. I've never taken a swing at anybody and no one's ever taken a swing at me, but I have been in a, in a class in English lit class where we had to act out a scene from one of our, our, our book that we had read. And so I remember my buddy read, read a book and in the book, there was a boxing scene. And so he picked me to box with him in the, in the acting out of the scene from the book. And I remember we were sparring around and dancing around as someone narrated this, the scene and in it, my buddy's character hits me. Well, I thought we were acting and he didn't act. He actually hit me in the nose, right square in the nose. And all I remember was immediately my eyes just flushing with water and not being able to see. Now, I was much bigger than my buddy, and I remember the very first thing that I did after being hit right in the nose was I reached to grab him because he was smaller, and so I I clung to him. And I remember in the scene, I was trying to hang on because I did not want to fall down on the ground in front of my classmates and be embarrassed, and at the same time, I wanted to hang on to him because I thought with my size, I could just get the best of him and get him down on the ground because I felt like he'd betrayed the scene. That, that dual action, that dual action of clinging to my buddy so that I didn't fall on the ground, and yet the wrestling part with him because I wanted to take him down is exactly the meaning of Habakkuk's name. Habakkuk's name reflects a person who at his very core, his human core, wrestles with who God is. And yet at his very essence of trusting in that same God clings to him like crazy for many, if not for all of us, as we talk about the idea of having hope in the dark, it's those two elements that we have to develop to make sure this works. Listen, I've heard people say this my entire life. People who have faith are people who are weak and they need faith in something to justify their weakness Listen, I think that's 100% true. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, those in abject poverty of spirit, right? In my complete weakness, in my complete weakness, I can be saved. Absolutely, faith speaks to those who are weakest. Because when I'm weak, God is strong. But exercising your faith in God, it's not for sissies. Because it is an incredibly difficult thing to want to wrestle with, beat up, defeat a God who you don't understand. And yet at the same level, cling to him for every ounce of your life because you know there's nobody else to trust in. And when it comes down to having hope in the dark, that's ultimately That's ultimately the battle that rages between every person. Because if you're not wrestling with God during this coronavirus, stay at home, shelter at home, safer at home thing. If you're not, if you're not wrestling with God about a virus that's crippled the world that we live in and has killed, killed nearly a quarter of a million people that we know of. But then I, I don't know how you're ever supposed to have hope in a dark season you read the headlines, they're devastating. If you read the stories of dads who bring joy to their daughters because their hope or their problems have been canceled. To me, you get both of those feelings there, right? You get the notion of wrestling with the God because of you don't understand. And yet you have this clinging to God because he's your, he's your hope. He's your answer. So we're going to take the first chapter. We're going to go through three chapters of the book over the next three weeks. I want to talk about this idea of finding, how do we find hope in the dark? And I've entitled tonight's message, conversation, talk, wrestle. Because at the end of the day, chapter one, we meet a man whose name means to cling, to wrestle, to cleave. Excuse me. (coughs) And in chapter one, we meet that man. We meet Habakkuk the prophet who doesn't understand. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, we read these words. I want to read the first four verses of Habakkuk to you. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 4, as we meet this prophet, Habakkuk says this Prophet that Habakkuk the prophet, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long? How long? I mean, I've raised enough kids to have heard that question. How long for. How long, Lord, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Listen, you can add the the tone, too. You can add the attitude. You can hear it. Or how long, God, do I have to cry out to you violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate all of this wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice, justice, God never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Wrestle. If we're ever going to find hope in the dark, you and I are going to have to become comfortable with wrestling with God. Habakkuk wrestled with God. How long? How long? I mean, incredibly accusational, right? This idea of human, human, right? Verbalizing this humanity was a back saying to God, listen, how long? How much longer, God, am I going to have to tolerate this? How much longer, God, are you going to tolerate this? God, what are you doing with what's going on around us? I was raised in an environment where People talked. My dad was was an open book. There was arguments to be had and there were feelings to be shared and there was stuff to to hear. And so we, 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 we grew up that way. I've raised my kids that way. I'm okay with my 17 year daughter approaching me the way a back approached because I believe in all of my heart that wrestling is part of existing. And if we don't learn how to fight, listen, It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. And if you've joined us and you're not, man, I'm so glad that you're a part of this conversation. Because the reality is, nobody needs a notebook to be told life is hard. And if there's not an element of us that's not willing to wrestle, we cannot survive. Because if you can't wrestle, you can't ever win. You'll always be defeated. Life will always get the best of you. Habakkuk comes out swinging. How long? How much more, God, am I going to have to put up with? Because here's what I want you to take away from this wrestling. God is completely okay with you verbalizing your humanity along the way. Listen to Psalm 13. Psalm 13, 1 through 4, the writer says this. How long, Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? I mean, how many, how many people have ever felt that way about God? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, God, and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy, my enemy will say, I've overcome you. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. How about Jesus in Matthew's account, Jesus writes these words in Matthew chapter 27. He says, from noon, from noon until three, the writer says, in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, if we're ever going to find hope in the dark, We have to wrestle, which means it's okay for you and I to learn how to voice our humanity. God is not afraid of you asking him questions. God is not afraid of your humanity getting the best of you as you scream to a God when you don't understand what's happening. There's nothing wrong with it. Psalm 145 verse 18 assures us that that's the case. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. I mean, how many times have our prayers been completely dishonest because we haven't given to God what we're thinking and what we're feeling. We haven't told God how upset we are and how concerned we are. Listen, when you're a 22-year-old Bible college graduate after sacrificing your dream for the MBA and within two months of graduating, you bury a son, you lose a family, your job gets taken away, your home is taken away. I can tell you that by the middle of July when my life had completely fallen apart, I wrestled and God heard plenty of my humanity. It's okay to be human to God. Habakkuk comes out and he's human to God because here's the great part. God has no problem being him because in the next verses in Habakkuk chapter one, starting at verse five, we see God's divinity. Listen to what God tells Habakkuk. Now remember, he's just put him on notice. He's just said to God, how much longer he's served notice to God, calling him out for what's happened to his people. And here's God's response. Look at the nations and watch. Habakkuk, be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize the dwellings, not their own. They're feared and they're dreaded people. They're a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. God goes on to say, their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and they scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building Earthen earthen ramps, they capture them. And then they sweep past the wind, or like the wind, and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So Habakkuk puts God on notice and says, basically, God, what are you doing? I mean, what are you doing? There's not a there's not a human being who's willing to consider that there's a possibility that there is a God who hasn't thought the same thing that Habakkuk verbalized. And to be successful at finding hope in dark places, you and I have got to wrestle. And it is not possible to wrestle until you verbalize your humanity. Habakkuk did it. David did it. Jesus did it. You can do it. But here's the thing. God's a big boy. God's able to... Answer without feeling attacked. We don't read God responding to Habakkuk, questioning him. We listen to God respond. And his response is not what Habakkuk wanted. Habakkuk wanted God's people to repent. He wanted them to stop being ruthless. He wanted them to stop serving injustice. He wanted them to get right with God. He wanted God to perform a revival in the hearts of his people. He wanted Israel to behave like the children of God. And what did God say? (laughs) I'm going to send in the most ruthless people you've ever heard of and will ever meet, and I'm going to use them to bring justice to these unrighteous people. (laughs) What a plan! God, how long are you going to tolerate this? God, when are you going to fix this? When are you going to make these people better? And God says, listen, I'm going to do something that's going to amaze you. I'm going to use the most ruthless people in the world to dole out justice on my people. Wasn't really what Habakkuk wanted. Sometimes in our wrestling with God, the answer we get isn't what we want. Right. I remember when my when my father passed away, my mom had found him on the floor of our home and he was unconscious. And I remember my mom just praying over and over and over again with her friends that God would would save would save him, would spare him. And he didn't. And I just remember being a young man who just graduated from Bible college. And I just remember my mom over and over and over again wondering why. Why would God not save a 49-year-old man who was healthy? Didn't smoke, didn't drink, ran, lifted weights, exercised. And she just couldn't understand why. And the reality is there's so many people listening right now who've asked God, who've screamed at God, who've wrestled with God and they said, God, why, why or how long or when are you going to do something? And God has done something and it just hasn't made a bit of sense. What do you do with that? What do you do with a God that doesn't just answer, that answers in a way that doesn't make any sense to us? Here's what the prophet Isaiah said that hopefully might, I don't know, help you and I as we wrestle. Isaiah said this, my thoughts, My thoughts aren't your thoughts. I don't think the way you think, Cord. Or if he was talking to my mom, Charlene, I don't think the way you think. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Neither are the ways, my ways, your ways. The things I do, they're not the same. You see, as as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm not sure that there's many things, honestly, more complicated than watching people do things we don't understand. It's the joy of being a parent is watching these people that you raise grow up and do things and you just shake your head and go, what, what, what were you thinking? Like what was going through your head when that happened? Right. Having spent several years in student ministry, watching teenagers do things, asking myself this question and to them, what? were you thinking? Listen, it is a difficult thing as a parent. It is a difficult thing if you're in a relationship with somebody and the person you're in a relationship with does something and your brain says, what were you thinking? And when you come to the realization that the way they think and the things that they do aren't like the things that you think and the things that you do, that's complicated. It is incredibly difficult to maintain a healthy relationship with people who don't think the way you think and don't do the things the way you do. I've been counseling for 30 years, married couples, and I've been married for a long time. That same issue exists for people who say they believe in God. Because things that we believe under, that are under God's control, we don't We don't understand. You know, why is a God who says he's good allow something so bad to happen in the world? And listen, I've read all the books and I've heard all the answers. And the reality is if you're trying to answer that question, you should just stop. Because you're not smart enough to answer the question. Because for every person that you explain it to, you leave another hundred people that don't understand. Because for everybody that says, oh, that God's good, that the hurricane didn't hit Ormond Beach, forgets the same God who is good allowed it to destroy the Bahamas. So how are you supposed to explain a good God that spared Ormond from a horrific hurricane and that same hurricane that God spared Ormond with stalled and demolished and killed people in the islands of the Bahamas? How do you explain that? You can't. So what do you do? You wrestle. You wrestle with it. You wrestle by expressing your humanity. You wrestle by hearing God's divinity and understanding this, that the way that God thinks isn't the way we think. And the way that God acts isn't the way that we act. And the reality is, you get that principle because you're married to somebody who doesn't think the way that you think and you think they should be okay with it. You're married or dating somebody that doesn't do the things that you do and you're okay with it and you think they should be okay with it. Why, why is it when it comes to faith and God, we struggle with that concept when in reality, the people that we love the most, we expect them to hang around even though they don't think the way that we think and they don't act the way that we act. Listen, there's no way to deal with that unless you wrestle with it. Because I can tell you this, if you're a person that gets stuck every time somebody doesn't agree with you, either by the way they think or by what they do, you're a lonely, miserable person. Because at some point in time, you're going to have to get past that. Listen, my sister Shauna and I are are very close. We've been very close. We were close even when we were younger. But I've, I've said this before. When we made the decision to come down here because we believed that, that coming to Ormond was what God desired most of us. I had to say goodbye to my home that I grew up in. I had to say goodbye to a family that had become very close between my family and my sister's family. And I remember my sister begging me not to go and begging me not to go and begging me not to go. And then I remembered nine plus years of no relationship. And out of the blue, last year in 2019, my sister called me Now, my sister had only called me twice before this once was to tell me that my mom had died and once was to tell me that my aunt had been hospitalized and they thought she was dying. And so I was a little Pavlov doggy and right that I was seeing her number come on my phone and going, "Okay, there's bad news. It wasn't. My sister and I had about an hour conversation that day. And here's what she said to me. (laughs) We had we we hadn't had a relationship for almost nine years of me being down here. She said to me, I can't keep cutting off people in my life that I don't agree with or I'll end up alone. The reality is that for Shauna to have a relationship with me in spite of the fact that she didn't agree with my decision required her to wrestle with it. She didn't. She quit. And because of that, we didn't have a relationship for nine years. And listen, I quit too. Shauna made a decision that I didn't agree with and I decided life was too short and I quit. There's a lot going on, my guests, in your life because of COVID-19 and because of, I don't know. Because your kids have walked away from the faith. Because you got denied unemployment this week because the unemployment system in Florida is completely broken. Maybe you didn't get your check because you moved and your bank account changed, and you're still without a stimulus check. Maybe you, were serv- maybe you were served divorce papers today. Maybe you got an answer from the doctor today. I don't know. I just know there's things that happen in all of our lives that we don't understand. To find hope, we have to wrestle. Like Habakkuk did, like his name means. And to wrestle, listen, you got to be human. God is graciously kind and patient with us to be human. Listen, read the book of Job, man. Listen to what he says to God and his humanity. And then understand that we're going to get an answer. And sometimes we're not going to like what we see. And we're not going to get it. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be tempted to go because God's good that God should answer and act in accordance like this. Listen, Isaiah says God didn't like us. He didn't think like we do. Right? Listen to Job. Listen to, I want to read the extended verses. Listen to Job 38. Job was a guy who was married, who was righteous. If you're not familiar with this story. And through multiple acts of God, Job lost his livelihood. He lost his staff and he lost his family except for his wife, all in back-to-back acts of God. And the book of Job is basically a book of Job's friends being terrible and Job growing angrier and angrier during the course of the, of the dialogue. And in Job chapter 38, here's what we read. The Lord finally shows up, speaks to Job out of the storm and says this. Who is it that obscure, obscures my plans Right with words without knowledge. Basically, who's standing here in front of me, projecting a shadow, saying things that are so dumb I can't even believe I have to listen to them? If you're a parent, you you felt that way about your kids sometimes. Like, <coughs> excuse me. Like, why are you here? What, what you're you're going to say what to me? You don't know anything, right? God says this to Job, brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you're going to answer me. Now listen, we're trying to figure out how to find hope in the world where we don't understand God's plans. Job, Habakkuk's answer from God was, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to cause revival in Israel. I'm not going to bring Judah to its knees to repent. I'm going to bring in the Babylonians who are self-ascribed maniacs who worship only themselves, and I'm going to dole out justice on these people, my people. And Habakkuk's like, what? What kind of plan is that? Listen, it's the same God who said this to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off the dimensions of the world? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and I wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed, listen, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far water, this is the question with the ocean I ask all the time. How does the water know to stop there? Listen, he's saying to Job, surely you know the answer to this question. Where were you when I said to the ocean, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. That's the God that we serve, right? That's a God that we don't understand. And listen, there's a lot about this COVID-19 thing I don't understand. There's a lot, there's a lot about Life I don't understand. There's a lot of things that happen to you and have happened to me that make me not just scratch my head, but make me angry enough to express my humanity to God. And the answers that I've gotten from God at times make me even more angry. Because God's divinity isn't always understandable to us. God's ways are not understandable to us all the time. His thoughts and my thoughts and your thoughts are not the same. As a matter of fact, God says they are so far apart, they are as far apart as the heavens are from the earth. Just as far apart at times it feels like as my 17-year-old daughter's thoughts are away from a 56-year-old father. They just don't make any sense. And here's the reality. If you're going to wrestle... You're going to do exactly what Habakkuk did. Look, look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I'm going to read the, the starting in verse 12 of chapter one. I'm going to read the rest of Habakkuk. You got it there. Thank you. Listen, listen to. So Habakkuk says, God, what are you doing? The world's falling apart. Your people are crazy. I'm sick of it. You seem to be doing nothing. How long? God comes back and says, you, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe what I'm going to do. I'm gonna do this with these people and they're horrible, but I'm gonna use them. Here's a backup's response because not only is humanity verbalized and divinity verbalized, here's what I also know. When you put those two things together, insanity, right? Or incompatibility gets verbalized. Listen to this. Here's a backup's response, Lord. <laughs> Lord, Lord, listen. Hang on, hang on. Are are you not from everlasting? Like, okay. I've cried out. I've heard your answer. And my first response to that, God, is, are are you not who you say you are? Like, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, will you never die? You, Lord, have appointed them. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's restating what he's heard. You're up. Now, Now he's going to give a little dissertation. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. (laughs) Why? Why, God, who's everlasting, who can't look on evil, why, God, then, do you tolerate the treacherous? Because you're using the worst kind of people to answer my pleas of what are you going to do? And Habakkuk says, why are you silent? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? you've made people like the fish in the sea. Listen to this. This is Habakkuk telling God what he's going to do because he doesn't understand it. He says to God, you've made people, me, God, you've made me like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. Listen, the wicked, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, that wicked person that you, that you let catch us in a net, God, he sacrifices to his net and he burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net and destroying nations without mercy? Listen, it's one thing to be human and verbalize that to God when you've had enough. It's one thing to hear God's divine plan and not understand it. It is a whole nother thing to respond to God the way Habakkuk did. Habakkuk said to God, listen, let me see if I got this straight. You are a God from everlasting who never dies and can't stand to look at wrongdoing. Then explain to me, God, how in the world your plan makes any sense, any sense. Listen, the reality is if you're going to have hope in darkness, you're going to have to go through this process with God. And if your home life didn't prepare you to wrestle, you're going to have a hard time. Listen, I, I said this last week. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a real follower or not a real follower. I don't have a clue. But I do know this. That I am incapable of following God's law. And because of that, whatever score I produce after my first failure is insufficient to get me to heaven. My entire eternal existence depends on Jesus. Doesn't matter if it's 99.9. Doesn't matter if it's 97. Doesn't matter if it's 72. My My entire, my entire eternal existence depends on Jesus. I'm banking everything I got on that. I live in a world that is full of evil and sin. I don't understand it. I don't get, I don't get cruelty. I don't get harming people. I don't get it. And there's a lot of times I just don't understand. And there's tons and tons of times I've prayed and I've prayed and I've been human to God. And I have cried out and I have let God know how much more I can take. And I've lived my life and read my verses and heard sermons and I've listened to God's response. And sometimes God's response has driven me up the wall. sometimes I've responded the way Habakkuk has responded. And I've said, you've got to be kidding me, God, this is the best that you can do. And what I know is this, is that all of those things that the devil would have hoped would have been used to destroy my faith in that God to rob me of my hope and my anchor haven't worked. And I know it's not because I have lived a perfect life. It's because I have lived a life where I have been more than willing to wrestle with a God I've done everything to cling to. I don't think chapter one of Habakkuk is a very hopeful chapter. I think it can be hard and I think it can be exhausting. I think we can feel like Job. Listen, some of you feel like Job. Job's family, his staff, his livelihood have been wiped out. And here's what Job says. He opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said a boy is conceived. That day, he said, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. And may no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, the night of my conception, may that thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. He's talking about that day, the day of his birth. May that day, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. I don't know about you. There have been there have been things in my life that have caused me enough pain to want to curse the day of my birth. My guess is there's probably some of you that fell away right now. But we just don't understand. And not only, it's not that we just don't understand what we see. We've already told God we don't understand what we see. But then we've got God's response to our plea. Right? Like, my children at times have yelled at me and not, and, and have expressed their humanity. What, what's, we don't understand, dad. Right? Like, how long, dad? What are you gonna do? And then I've done, I've done what I was going to do. And at that point in time, they're even more aggravated because now they've seen the response. And they're like, you've got to be kidding me. That's the best that you can do. Because at the end of the chapter, that's where finds himself. He finds himself. He finds himself in a situation where his humanity was confronted with God's divinity. And now he just finds it incompatible. These two things just don't go together. I felt that way. My guess is that some of you feel that way right now. Jesus felt that way. (laughs) Listen to what Jesus said in the garden. The night that Jesus was arrested before his crucifixion, Jesus went with his disciples. You can just call them his friends. They spent three and a half years together. He went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his friends, sit here. We know from Scripture it was Peter, James, and John, his his three best friends. He said, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter, he took the two sons of Zebedee, right, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And here's what he said. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point that I want to die. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground. And here's what he said to God. My father, if it's possible, (laughs) he knew it was possible. (laughs) He was God. He knew the power of the infinite almighty God. If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I don't think it's possible, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's possible to find hope in the dark unless we can learn how to wrestle. You know, we want to we, we, we cling, right? We, we want to be told about a God that we can hang on to. I just think you need to know about a God who's okay with you wrestling with him. I think you need to know about a God who says, listen, listen, Cast your cares on me because I care for you. Call on me and I will be near to you. I think we need to know that wrestling with God is part of the process for his people to find hope in dark places. You got to be human. And God's going to be divine. Sometimes that's just going to be incompatible. And the only thing you can do in those moments is wrestle. So I pray that you'll fight today, that you'll wrestle with God who you don't understand, and that you'll come back next week and we'll talk about a God who we can stop wrestling with and we can learn how to cling to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Habakkuk. Thank you for his name gives us a picture of where this man was at stuck between the two realities of wanting with everything within him to cling to a god who created the heavens and the earth who promised his hope promised him hope and life and showed him love and yet a, a man a man who was completely and fully frustrated With what he was seeing, what he was being told, and yet he was willing to wrestle. I know, I know, God, there are people tonight who are wrestling with the world. They're wrestling with their children. They're wrestling with their exes. They're wrestling with their bosses. They're wrestling with the government. They're wrestling with the president. They're wrestling with all kinds of entities in the world. I pray that you'll make us people who wrestle with you. In Jesus' name, amen.